You know, sports history is full of upsets, improbable triumphs by the underdog. For example, in Super Bowl III, Joe Namath and the Jets were 18-point underdogs. Joe guaranteed victory, and his team stunned the Baltimore Colts. Not too long ago, in 2007, tiny Appalachian State sent a lowly Division IIA football team to the big house at Michigan. And there they upset the number five team in the nation, 34 to 32. And probably the greatest upset of all time in any sport occurred in the 1980 Winter Olympics. The USA hockey team, a team of inexperienced college kids, defeated the mighty Russians 4 to 3 on their way to winning the gold medal. Well, all three examples, the New York Jets, Appalachian State, and the U.S. hockey team were surprising upsets. But none of them compare to the shocker that we read about in Joshua chapter 7. Here is the most unexpected triumph in history. The headline read, Mighty Israeli army gets routed by Ai's tiny militia. Now here's the background. Before passing the baton of leadership on to Joshua, Moses had led the Hebrews in two important victories against the kings east of the Jordan River. Og and Sihon fell to Moses' army. Then the miracle occurred. God rolled back to Jordan. Israel crossed the riverbed on dry ground. Undeniable evidence that the living God was fighting for Israel. And this miracle didn't go unnoticed by the people of the land. Joshua 5 verse 1 tells us that the fear of God and the threat of the Israelis caused the people's hearts to melt. It sent the Amorites reeling. The Canaanites were intimidated. And what happened next only heightened their anxiety. You see, Jericho was the most formidable of all the Canaanite city-states. Its walls were 12 foot thick, 35 feet high. If Jericho fell, the other cities would topple like dominoes. The Israelis mysteriously marched around Jericho for seven days. Then they blew a horn. They uttered a shout. And rock walls folded up like wet cardboard. It was amazing. The nations concluded that Israel had a secret weapon. I mean, who can box with God and win? The Israeli army was on a roll. This is not going to be a fair fight. And this is why Joshua didn't think twice about attacking the little village of Ai. I mean, Ai wasn't even a city. Some Bible scholars believe that it was an outpost of a larger town called Bethel. Imagine the odds of the mighty Israelis being routed by a city that doesn't even have a post office or a full-time fire department. Joshua is going to war with Mayberry, and he's not the slightest bit worried. Yet verse 1 tips us off to something wrong. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. And you don't want God angry with you on the eve of battle. Notice the term that describes Israel's indiscretion. 
trespass. You know, sin comes in different shapes and different sizes. A shortcoming, for example, is a valiant attempt that comes up short. Slip-ups are momentary lapses that interrupt the string of faithfulness. Ensnaring sins prey on weaknesses and cause entrapment. There are sins of omission, stuff you should have done but didn't. There are sins of commission, stuff you shouldn't but sometimes do. Yet none of the above is a trespass. This word implies a treachery. A trespass is a deliberate act of defiance where God draws a line and yet you still cross over. Once there was a little boy, he found a big black cigar. He slipped into an alley and he lit it up. He thought he was cool stuff until he saw his father walking in his direction. He quickly hid the cigar behind his back and he tried to act nonchalant. The boy desperately wanted to divert his father's attention, so he noticed a billboard there on the street corner. It advertised the circus that was coming to town. He made the suggestion, he said, Dad, what do you say we go to the circus? His dad's reply was classic. He answered, Son, never ask a favor while you're trying to hide a smoldering disobedience. Well, Joshua doesn't know it yet, but there is a smoldering disobedience in the camp of Israel. Verse 2. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up, and they spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Don't let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Don't worry all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. These spies return and they report to Joshua that Ai is just a blip on the screen, man. You won't even need a whole army to defeat them. Just a few thousand troops, just, just a small expeditionary force will polish off Ai. This battle is going to be a cakewalk. And without hesitation, Joshua accepts the spies' report. He follows their advice. He doesn't even pray. How could they possibly lose to Ai? But if Joshua had prayed, I believe that God would have revealed a problem. You see, apparently Jericho had gone to Joshua's head. Think about it. A single notch on his belt. And he's now an expert at fighting battles. Ai won't even require God's intervention. Joshua's self-confidence is about to result in defeat. Guys, never forget that in the spiritual battle we face, we are always dependent on God. And as it's been said, the proof of our dependence is a determination to pray. Well, we get the play-by-play of the battle in verses 4 and 5. We're told, so about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Who would have imagined this? The unthinkables happened. A junior college is upset, upsets a Division I powerhouse. Mighty Israel falls to the midgets of Ai. And this has a devastating impact on the Hebrews It far exceeded the 36 casualties. It killed their momentum. For in verse 5 we're told, The hearts of the people melted 
and became like water. Hey, we're not invincible any longer. You know, as Christians, we should always remember, yesterday's successes don't guarantee tomorrow's victories. Guys, we live one day at a time. And we're always hanging on by the slender thread of God's grace. Forget the source of your strength or pretend that the power originates in you and you too will be doomed to disaster. Verse 6 tells us, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, both he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. They just can't believe what's happened. They're in deep mourning. Ai was a crushing defeat at a terrible time. Verse 7 tells us, And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites? To destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Now this is amazing. Joshua finally prays, and guess what he does? He blames God for their defeat. God, why did you bring us this far just to let us down now? And then he adds to his complaint in verse 8. Oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Israel is demoralized. Her enemies have grown confident. And God has allowed this. He's allowed the momentum to shift. Big Mo is now wearing Canaanite colors. And Joshua wants to know what God is going to do about it. In verse 10, God interrupts Joshua's complaint. For Joshua, not God, is the one who needs to do something. We're told, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you any more unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Now it's a rarity that God ever stops a person from praying. But here it happens. God tells Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? You see, there is a time to kneel and take it to God, but there's a time to deal and take some action. And this is the time to deal. You see, before the conquest of Jericho, God had forbidden the Israeli troops from confiscating any of the city's spoils. Jericho's silver and gold were to be dedicated to God and to the tabernacle. All else was to be burned. In fact, Joshua's exact words of warning are listed for us in chapter 6, verse 18. He said, By all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But there was one wayward commando who disobeyed this command. His name was Achan. And Achan had sticky fingers. And while canvassing the rubble of Jericho, he saw three items. 
a beautiful Babylonian garment, probably like my shirt this morning. 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold. You know, he probably thought he had deserved it. Maybe he had made a special sacrifice in the battle. You know, he, he, he deserved this special treat. He waited until he thought no one was looking. And then he stuck the loot under his coat. And he scurried back to his tent. There he buried the stolen merchandise. Figured it was no big deal. No one would ever find out. Achan never considered the outcome at Ai. And God now reveals to Joshua that Israel's improbable upset was because of a hidden sin inside the camp. Now God tells Joshua, Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Israel won't be battle ready until they uproot their sin. And here's God's procedure to do so. Verse 14. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought before the tri- according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families. And then the family which the Lord takes shall come by households. And then the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning. Perhaps he had trouble sleeping the night before. A man's life was on the line. I figure the only person who had a tougher time sleeping that night than Joshua was Achan. And so Joshua brought Israel by their tribes. And the tribe of Judah was taken. And then he brought the clan of Judah and he took the family of the Zarhites. And he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man. And Zabdi was taken. And and at this point, Achan is perspiring heavily. Sweat is rolling off his forehead. It's dawning on him. God knows where I live. How God actually revealed to Joshua which family and which household and which man, we're not sure. Perhaps it was through the casting of lots. But whatever it was, God was in control. And like a good GPS, a God-positioning satellite was pinpointing the culprit and the coordinates to the secret stuff. Now, verse 18 tells us. Then he brought his household man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, was taken. God finds the culprit. He picks him out of the lineup. God identifies the suspect. There's a DNA match. And the man's name is appropriate. Achan. Because the whole camp was Achan. Because of him. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Joshua gently prods Achan for a confession here. 
And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I've done. He finally confesses, but only after the sin is exposed. And I believe that if he had come clean on his own accord, the outcome would have been much different. Verse 21 paints one of the Bible's most vivid portraits of the progression of sin. Achan tells us, When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, I wanted them, I desired them, and I took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. He saw. He coveted. He took. Then he hid. This is the slippery slope that every sin travels. We see it. Oh, it looks so appetizing. It appears sexy or tasty or trendy. Then we desire it. Oh, I want to try that out. I want to tie that on. I want to think about how that's going to make me feel or how it's going to make me seem. And then we take it. Even if God forbids it or even if it belongs to someone else, our desire overrides God's loving wisdom. And here's what we would assume comes next. We enjoy it. But that's not the end result. Rather than enjoy it, Achan had to hide it. God refuses to allow a Christian to enjoy his sin. We become convicted, don't we? We know he's watching. The guilt rises up. We're worried we'll get caught. We can't enjoy it. We can only hide it, only cover it up. Well, Achan finally comes clean. He says the lethal loot is buried in his tent. Verse 22 So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. We assume from other Old Testament laws that these children were adults and they were complicit in his crimes. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. The name of the valley was actually a play on words. Achor or Achan means to stir up or to trouble. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? Hey, trouble, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. A double whammy. I'm sure some of you might question God's harshness here. Hey, wait a minute, Sandy. A death penalty for a case of sticky fingers? That's pretty severe. But let me suggest you ask the 36 widows and the 36 sets of orphans who lost a husband and a father in a doomed battle, what was fair? I'm sure according to them, a greedy Achan got exactly what he deserved. And you see, our questioning of this highlights our problem. So often we downplay the seriousness of sin. 
We want to say, oh, it's no big deal. No one will ever know. Oh, the only person I'm hurting is me. But you see, the story of Achan proves otherwise. Hidden sin puts the whole camp in jeopardy. Everyone suffers in some way from a secret sin. You know, I used to hate when the football coach made the whole team run a lap just because one guy jumped off sides. I'd always kind of grumble under my breath. This isn't fair. Why should I be suffering from someone else's mistake? And yet that coach was teaching us a life lesson. For we are all tied together with invisible cords. You see, a father's indiscretion or mismanagement inflicts pain on the whole family. An employee's laziness cuts into corporate profits and robs his co-workers. A bus driver falls asleep and endangers the whole busload of school children. A mom fails at her job and kids and then grandkids suffer as a consequence for generations. A pastor neglects to teach God's word and spiritually cripples a whole congregation. You see, our lives are interrelated in ways we don't always see. What one person does affects what happens to the whole. This is why Paul tells the Corinthians to discipline the man in their church who was involved in a sinful relationship. His sin had infected the whole congregation. As Paul put it, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Our actions as individual Christians do impact our Christian community. Your sin will sabotage our witness. It will rob us of God's power and God's favor. Same is true with my sin. This was the case with Achan. One man's sin caused a nation to suffer. Joshua didn't want Israel to forget this lesson. And so in verse 26, he erects a memorial. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. And so the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Now, chapter 8 begins. Now, the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise. Now, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Boy, what a difference it makes when you position yourself so that God can fight for you rather than fight against you. Go ahead and read chapter 8. Once the sin in the camp is uprooted, God gives Israel a total victory over Ai. And notice verse 2 here. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. See, here's the tragedy. If Achan had just waited a couple of weeks, he could have had all the clothes and silver and gold his tent could hold. Achan could have plundered enough Babylonian garments to start his own designer label. The problem is that sin gets impatient. God's best comes to those who are willing to wait. Now, as you well know, we're in a series of messages entitled, How to Be a Person of Influence. And we've been talking about the positive habits of influential people. They make preparation. They seize opportunities. They overcome barriers. They settle their allegiances and they face their foes. But here's what influential people don't do. They don't 
cover up their failures. People of influence, POIs as we've called them, live a transparent life. And this is what draws us to them, does it not? We admire their talent and their tenacity, but it's their truthfulness that keeps them believable and relatable. True leaders admit failures. Sins and shortcomings are dealt with honestly. This is how the Bible treats its POIs. All its heroes are portrayed warts and all, blemishes or not. God never airbrushes His models. What you see is what you get. And God expects similar candor in a church. Remember, forgiveness abounds where sin is confessed. It's the cover-up. It's the hypocritical whitewash. It's the secret sin that incites God's wrath. What irritates God are the bones in the backyard. The skeletons in the closet. Hey, God is so willing to forgive, it frustrates Him when we're unwilling to confess. It's humility and honesty that pleases God. You know, it takes very little effort to bury an imported coat or a few silver coins or a wedge of gold. You know, it's fairly easy to hide illicit loot from human eyes. But hiding sin from God is a whole different story. Hey, you can't dig a hole deep enough. There is no blanket thick enough to escape God's scrutiny. Don't be a fool and think that you can keep your sin a secret. Check out three scriptures. Proverbs 15, verse 3, it tells us, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the good and the evil. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Psalm 44, verse 21 says of God, For He knows the secrets of the heart. In Luke 12, verse 2, our Lord Jesus Himself tells us, There is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that shall not be made known. I'll never forget the couple who came to me one time for marriage counseling. And in our conversation, the fellow stated, He said, We just don't want God to know about our problems. I said, Really? Oh boy, God knows. God already knows. There's nothing hidden from God. There really is no such thing as hidden sin. Only confessed and unconfessed sin. Jesus said to the churches in Revelation, I know your works. On February the 9th, 1996, a train crashed just outside of Waldwick, New Jersey. A rail car ran a red signal and crashed into another train, killing both engineers, a passenger, and injuring 158 people. A year later, the National Transportation Safety Board released their report on the crash. It turns out the the engineer who ran the red light had been going blind. For nine years, his diabetes had caused a deterioration of his vision. The engineer and his doctor knew about his condition, but covered it up. See, every year at his annual physical, the engineer said no when asked if he had diabetes. He never told anyone about his prescriptions or that he was under another doctor's care. Twice he paid for eye surgery out of his own pocket to keep the company from discovering his illness. 
For nine years, this engineer held on to a secret sin. But as the Bible says, your sin will find you out. The truth surfaced in a most deadly way. Hey, Achan was able to hide his sin only until the next battle. The wheels come off at Ai. At Jericho, God's power rested on the Hebrews. But at Ai, the spiritual empowerment that they had enjoyed before suddenly vanished. Joshua after Ai was like Samson after his haircut. Where did God go? What happened to my strength? And this is what happens in a believer's life where there is secret, hidden sin. Joy and peace. Power over sin and boldness to witness. Love for God and assurance of forgiveness suddenly disappear. A person who was once filled with the Holy Spirit becomes an empty shell, like a balloon that's lost all its helium. Their life becomes a limp piece of plastic. Hidden sin grounded the Hebrews. They had no no more lift. As God said of the children of Israel, they can no longer stand before their enemies. And hidden sin has the same effect on churches and on families. There was once a great unity in our church. There was such joy and a spirit of cooperation. And we had such an effective witness. But now the blessing is gone. Why has the Holy Spirit vacated? Why are confusion and animosity now reigning? Oh, there was a time when this family was tight-knit. Nothing separated us. Now the slightest irritation causes us all to storm off in different directions. Our family is unraveling and we can't put our finger on the problem. Hey, this might be the problem. There might just be some hidden sin in your camp. That gold wedge is buried in your tent. Or the pornographic files on your hard drive. Or the checking account you're hiding from your spouse. Or the inappropriate relationship you're carrying on at the office. Or the secret gossip that you're spreading. Or the bitter thoughts that you've been mulling over in your mind. It all is having the same effect on you. Your sin has caused God to remove His hand of blessing from you and from the people you love. You see, here's the mistake we make. We think we can keep our sin a secret, but that's just not true. Your secret sin affects the whole camp. God will remove His blessing on the whole family due to your private perversions. A father or mother's secret indulgences can cut off the flow of God's blessing to their kids. A church leader or a church member with unconfessed skeletons in their closet can hinder what the Holy Spirit wants to do in the whole church. Could it be the growth you once experienced? The victories that you won? The witness that you were? The way that you served? The progress that you were making in your marriage? Could it be it's no longer happening now because of some subsurface sin in your life that you choose to hide? Guys, you're being undermined by a secret sin. Many years ago, a London pastor sent an anonymous letter to 20 of the city's most prominent men. The note read simply, all is discovered, escape while you can. As the story goes, within a few days, all 20 men left town. Has your recent Christian life been marred by defeat? 
Have you gotten off track? Are you in a spiritual slump? Have you been aching, man, like aching? Well, is there an accursed thing buried somewhere in your basement? It's interesting. Israel could have attacked Ai ten, ten more times with ten times as many people. They could have employed ten other strategies. They could have prayed ten different prayers, each ten hours long. But they still would have been defeated. For the problem was buried under the surface. Israel didn't get back to its winning ways until Achan was out of the way. And this is a vital lesson. Some of you have been trying to untangle the complications in your marriage and in your family and in your business, but every effort you make seems futile. All your attempts at rectifying your situation seem doomed. But it could be your problem is under the surface, seemingly unrelated. You've been losing at AI because of what's buried in your tent back home. You see, it's time to stop working at the problem per se and come clean with the secret sin. If the problem is hidden sin, you can pray for your spouse or your kids or your finances or your job until you're blue in the face. You can go to all kinds of counseling. You can get all kinds of help, but it will be to no avail. For God wants you to hear what he said to Joshua. Get up! Now is not the time to kneel but to deal with that sin that's been stunning your growth. You see, I believe that God wanted to forgive Achan. That he desired to spare Achan the horrible judgment that he suffered. If Achan had just come clean on his own. You see, to me, the way that God flushed Achan out into the open was an example of his mercy. I mean, he could have identified the culprit to Joshua in a dream. Or he could have sent a little cloud that would just hovered right there over Achan's head. You know, been pretty easy to spot the problem. Yet God begins with two million plus people, parades them all before Joshua, and then starts whittling them down one by one. Imagine the pressure on Achan. I figure he started out cocky. Oh, I'll never get caught. Finding me is like finding a needle in a haystack. But but as the crowd keeps thinning out, his palms get sweaty. And Achan gets antsy. I believe it was God's desire for Achan to turn himself in. If he'd just come clean, if he'd just begged for mercy, I believe mercy would have been granted. But Achan never stepped out. And he ended up getting burned. Don't you get burned. Instead, get honest. God knows we failed. God knows we will fail. God has never expected any of us to be perfect, but He does expect all of us to be honest. Stop concealing and start confessing. And if you do, here's God's promise. It's a wonderful promise. 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice today, people of influence admit their failures. Father, may we be honest with ourselves, with our sins, with our mistakes, with our failures. May we come clean. May we stop hiding and burying and pretending. And may we be honest with you. 
and with the people we've sinned against. Lord, help us to repent, to to come clean, to get rid of this guilt, Lord. We've tried in a million different ways to get rid of our guilt, except for the one way that guilt is truly, truly dealt with, and that's through confession. Lord, I pray that through confession and repentance and forgiveness this morning, Lord, you'll do a great work in our heart. You'll set many people free. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue.